Uh, we're so gr grateful to be together with you today. I want to deliver the word to you, deliver a message to you, uh, entitled, God is Big Enough. God is Big Enough. Oh, I don't know, probably 15, 18 years ago, I wrote a song, God is Big Enough for Me. And sometimes we just need to have a, a reminder of just how God, how big God actually is. I think many times we make our situations in life bigger than our God. Amen? Uh, but you know what? If we could be honest with ourselves, I think that we could all admit at, that at times we wonder, where's God? Where's God at? Now, I'm not talking about literally, physically, where God is at. You know, is he in, is he in heaven? Is he on earth? Uh, where's he at? Is he in some faraway galaxy? Is he at Disneyland? Where's God at? You know, I'm talking about where's he at in my mess? Where's he at in my trouble? Where's he at when I'm scared? Where's he at when I'm doubting? Where's he at when I'm questioning? Where's he at when I'm angry? Where is this ever-present God? I'm just speaking some real human stuff, okay? And on top of that, you know, we have well-intentioned Christians and good Christian friends that they tell us, you're not supposed to worry. Don't ever worry. Well, how many of y'all are successful, 100% successful at never worrying? Huh? And how many of y'all are good Christians that never worry? No, it's not real life, is it? You know, where they, they tell us, you're not supposed to be fearful. Uh, you're not supposed to be angry. Uh, you should never, ever question and doubt where, why you as a Christian, you should never be sad and you should never be depressed. Well, keep in mind, after all, that all of these things are human emotions that God created in us. He created us in his image and he created us with all these emotions. All of these emotions have a good place in our life. You know, you need to know that when the hair on the back of your neck stands up, that, that maybe you're getting a good warning signal that you're having. It's cautionary. You're about to enter into danger zone. You know what I mean? That's wisdom. You know, then there are people that have the audacity to tell us that if we do any of these things as good Christian, Holy Ghost filled, Bible toting folks, you ever have worry, you ever have doubt, you ever fearful, you ever question God, you're ever angry, that tell you if you do any of these things that you're in sin and therefore in trouble with God, which as far as I'm concerned only makes me worry just a little bit more. Huh? Can I get real with you all? And that not only are you in sin and you're in trouble with God, but you shouldn't expect anything from God. And you shouldn't expect that he hears us, that he cares for you about your troubles. We've been told, of course, that God cannot exist in the same presence as sin. Yes, he puts up with you and me, don't he? Huh? Yeah. And so, therefore, we got to get ourselves right before we come to God. Can I tell you that that is a lie from the pits of hell. Now, I don't know, but this sounds a lot like a God that's packaged in a shroud of stinking religion. We like religion because it makes us comfortable. But this does not describe the God that I know. This is not a picture of the loving, caring, nurturing father that I know and that I'm in love with and that I have a relationship with. No, 
I don't serve a God that's angry with me, even when I might be just a little bit angry at him. Don't you all look at me with that holier-than-thou look, because I'll just look back at you for a minute. It doesn't describe the, the God I know. I don't serve a God who's angry at me. I don't have a heavenly father that, that turns away from me when I question him. I don't have a heavenly father that turns away from me when I doubt him. I don't have a relationship with a God who's waiting in the wings for me to mess up so he can accuse me and put some kind of punishment on my life. That's not the God that I serve. I hope it's not the God you serve. Let me help you with, this, with something this morning. God is not angry at you. He's angry for you. Let me say that again. God's not angry at you. He's angry for you. He's angry at every foul spirit and every demonic force that wants to derail you and cause you to fail. That's what he's angry about. In the Gospels, Jesus didn't rebuke the person that was influenced or even controlled by the evil spirit. He rebuked the demon spirits that were on the person and then picked up the person, cleaned them off, and healed them. He had great concern and care for even the individual who was demon-possessed. I have searched the, the Bible in the New Testament this week to find one place that Jesus rebuked the person. He didn't rebuke the person, he rebuked the spirit. How about Luke chapter 9, verses 38 through 39 and 41 through 42. A man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. Now already, that's a compassionate moment. It's my son, my only child. Not just my only son, but my only child. And behold, the spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and it departs of him with great, from him with great difficulty, bruising him. And then Jesus answered and said, bring your son here. Now, I don't know about you, but I can, I can hear the compassion in his voice. Bring me your son. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child giving him back to his father. There was no condemnation on the person. There was a rebuke of the evil spirit. Or how about Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2? This is a good one. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. God's all into rebuking Satan. Can I get a witness from somebody? But many of us walk around feeling condemnation and guilt and feeling the rebuke of God on our life when all you're really feeling is the rebuke of judgmental religious folks shrouded in their idea of Christianity. God's not angry at you. He's angry at Satan who wants to destroy you. God has a plan to destroy Satan, but hear me, beloved, today. God has a plan to restore you and I. God has a plan to redeem you and I. He loves us and he has nothing but good things planned for us. Even in all of your mess and ugliness. Any of us who ever think that God has turned a cold shoulder to us because we messed up do not understand this God that we serve. 
It's not a relationship built out of trust. It's a relationship built out of performance. And you and I will never match up to the performance of Jesus Christ. God's big enough to handle your emotions. Are you hearing me? Maybe uh, you get really angry. Anybody? I would love to meet the person that's never, ever, ever gotten angry. Uh, and, and, and if you were to say to me, well, before I met Jesus Christ, I got angry a lot. But since I met Jesus, I've never been angry a day in my life. And I go, well, you got a problem with lying then too, don't you? God's big enough to handle your emotions. Or, of course, this wouldn't be you, good Christian person. You've gotten so angry that you just wanted to scream and curse. Or maybe did curse. Maybe, uh, Maybe there's times you're mad at God because he didn't come through for you the way you thought he ought to come through for you. Maybe there's times that, and you hate feeling this way, but you're so mad at him that you almost hate him for the things that he's allowed in your life. Or you hate him for the fact that he doesn't seem to answer the, the cry of your heart. Where are you? Why won't you answer me? Maybe sometimes you get really depressed and you're tired of living. You want to get up, give up on life. You feel like you're a poor excuse for a Christian because after all, as a Christian, you should always, without fail, be filled with joy and filled with peace. For some of you, I know that I'm kicking your holy cow this morning. And for others of you, you're thanking Jesus that maybe God actually understands who you are and your humanity. But I say to you today, take heart. Remember that even saints like the prophet Elijah and the apostle Paul knew the depths of despair. All you got to do is read the things that they went through and we need to remember that God honored Job, who was a righteous man despite his emotional outburst toward God. And yet God restored unto him twice what he ever had. What Job had an emotional outburst against God, and God says, I am done with you. It's not that story's not in the Bible. Oh, but I'm a Christian in a spirit-filled church. I carry a Bible big enough to choke a horse. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should ever walk around angry with God. Don't hear me wrong. But you need to know that God is big enough to handle it. You need to know that God is strong enough to handle it. God is loving enough to handle your anger. If you just simply bring it to him. and Talk to him about it. This is a loving God that I serve. Let me help you with something else this morning. God's not turning a cold shoulder to you just because you have questions and doubts. He is not abandoning you and rejecting you because you may even doubt him. You may even question him. 
If that were true for most of us, we'd never have a chance of making it to heaven. Because, I mean, we all have moments of doubt. We all have moments of question. We all wonder, why aren't you answering this? Where are you at? Next thing you know, uh, attached to your doubt is anger. Oh, but you're supposed to be holier than that. I'm so glad that my holiness doesn't bank on my actions. My holiness banks on the actions of Jesus Christ who died on a cross for me so that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Can I get a witness from somebody? God's big enough to handle your questions and your doubts. If we just bring it to him. In this life, we're going to go through time, seasons, when we have a lot of doubting questions for God. And, and maybe even some doubting questions about God. We're not always going to believe that God's ways are better than the plans that we have for ourselves. Huh? So therefore, we attempt to go on with our own plan and say, well, God, I don't believe that your plan is actually the right plan. That's questioning and doubting. There may be even times when you question or doubt whether or not you're saved. Many of us have had those moments where we wonder, am I really okay with God? Am I really saved? But take heart again. Remember the dad in Mark chapter 9. It's Mark chapter 9, verse 23 through 24, where Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe in my Lord and my Savior, and I believe in my Heavenly Father, but sometimes I need a little bit of help with my unbelief. What, preacher? Uh, excuse me, the last time I checked, I'm a human being too. Who simply answered the call to share the Word of God and to feed his sheep. But I'm still just a human that goes through all the same things that all the rest of us do. And sometimes I fail at it. Sometimes I need to just sit down and recognize and remember who this God is that I serve, who this God is that I trust, who this God is that I have a relationship with this, with uh, in such a deep and meaningful way. And I'm not in any way at all suggesting that we constantly walk around doubting and questioning God. That's not a healthy relationship either. Are you hearing me? But we need to know, you need to know, I need to know that God is big enough, strong enough, and loving enough to handle my lack of faith, my doubting, my questioning. All I need to do is bring that to him. The reason we don't bring it to him is because we feel like we're in a relationship with a judging God. Yes, he is a God that I'm not throwing out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak here. We understand that he is, he is a God who is not only a God of grace and mercy, but he's also a God of judgment. But my relationship isn't based on God of judgment, but of God of love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. But I got to have enough trust in my heavenly father to bring my inadequacies to him, to bring my shortcomings to him, to bring my fears to him, to bring my doubts to him, to bring my anger to him because he's big enough to handle it. And I trust in that. God's not waiting in the wings for you to mess up so that he can accuse you, so he can zap you with some form of punishment. 
If that were true, we'd all live under the cloud of judgment and guilt and punishment from God every day of our lives. Because I will be willing to wager that not one of us lives a perfect day. God's not up in heaven rubbing his hands together. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get them now. Hey, write that down in the book of bad stuff for so-and-so because I'm going to remember it. And I'm going to bring hurt and I'm going to bring... No! It's not the God we serve. He recognized, He created us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He created us with all the emotions. The devil's the one who took those emotions and perverted them and twisted them and tries to get us to use all of our emotions against God. And God is saying, I created you the way you are. I know you're going to have these moments of doubt and fear and anger and so forth. You bring it to me. I'm big enough to handle it. I love you enough to handle it. God has nothing but good plans for you and me. There's, there's, never, there's never an opportunity that anyone will ever have to convince me that God's in heaven figuring out a strategy to take Rick out. Rick may not like Rick all the time, but God loves me all the time. Rick may act like a knucklehead sometimes, but God loves me. Even in all my neck, in all of my knuckleheadedness. Huh? God's got nothing but good. I believe with all my heart. I, I trust this Father in heaven so much that I believe He's at the strategy tables of heaven trying to find another way to bless Rick and you. Even in all your mess. Nothing in the scripture tells us that when we accept Christ that we're going to be perfect in this earth suit. We're perfect spiritually before our God. Matter of fact, we're told that we have to live this life renewing our mind. So that we don't transform and conform to the world. We need to be transformed to God and not conform to this world. But that's a part of our journey in life. I'm so secured in my salvation with my God in heaven and the fact that he loves me that I'm okay with letting him know that I'm upset. That I doubt. But God has nothing but good plans. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and give you a hope. God's brought me, he brings us, uh, I shouldn't say he brings, he allows us to take journeys into our life, uh, in our life that cause us to have forks in the road, if you will. You're going to choose this or choose that? We all have them, okay? Now, many of you all know I was in the hospital last week with uh, chest pain, went through all the battery of tests, blah, blah, blah. And I had one specific test um, that, uh, that I thought I was going to die. I did. I, I felt what I felt was a heart attack. And I actually asked him, am I going to die? First thought that went through my head wasn't, wasn't, thank you, God, for saving me. First thought that went through my head was, 
they're going to go back to the room and tell Mrs. Lopez that they lost her husband in this test. God's okay with my doubts. He's okay with my fears. Again, I'm not suggesting that I live my whole life in doubt and fear. But when I do have occasions in my life that bring doubt and fear, I need to remember that God's okay and big enough to handle it. And he's saying, son, just bring your emotions to me. I can handle it. I'll help you through it. It's okay, son. It's okay, daughter. Don't feel like you got to put on this this saintly charade. Get real with the real father in heaven. Who has nothing but good plans for you. It's Satan who's waiting with bated breath to cause you to stumble. He's the one who's trying to trip you up. Genesis chapter 4 verse 6 says sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. To pounce on you. To cause you to fail. God wants to simply pick you up when you fail. I think he's such a loving father. I know he's never hoping that any of us fail. But he's looking for the opportunity to pick us up. To dust us off. To encourage us and to love us back on the journey again. He's not sitting there going, you bad person. I'm taking away your Christian title. If that's the God you serve, you need to get rid of that God and and get the right God in your life. It's Satan who accuses you, not God. Satan is the one who accuses you, not God. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Satan is constantly accusing you before God. And he's accusing you in your own heart, in your own mind, so much so that you can't see the blood and the body that we just uh, took took together just a moment ago. He said, my God loves me this much that he gave his son to die for me on a cross. Even in all of my mess, I didn't have to get fixed to come to him. I just had to come to him with all my dirt. I had to come to him dirty. And he'll clean me up. Guess what? Day later, I'm probably dirty again. Am I the only one? Huh? The rest of you are so holy and saintly. Well, yes, yes, I I can see the halos over your heads right now. Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 through 12, the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads The whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. Has been. Past tense. Hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Can I get a witness from somebody? I'm not saying you should live a messy life. I'm not saying you should should live a sinful life. I'm saying that when you mess up, remember that you got a Father in heaven who wants to help you, 
who wants to stand you back up, who wants to heal you, who wants to love you through the middle of your mess. I'm glad that I'm excited about that today. I, I wish you were only just a portion as excited about it as I am today. Did you know that God is big enough to handle your mistakes? Huh? Perhaps when you uh, look back on your life and you remember before Christ, you think of the poor decisions that you've made and the life-altering uh, mistakes that you've experienced. And you see the damage that you've caused yourself and you see the damage that you've caused others by what you have done and it leaves you in anguish. My past is on over. I understand that. It would be easy enough. And I have been guilty of this, of standing up here pointing a finger at you, saying you're just supposed to forget those things that lie behind. And I recognize that and understand that. But the enemy comes back and says, but remember? And then in my humanity, because whatever else is happening in life, I begin to ponder and I begin to think about it. And the next thing you know, I feel condemned before my God, not even re recognizing that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And my God is big enough to handle all that mess. Maybe uh, you beat yourself up regularly, refusing to believe that you could be forgiven. I know I'm talking to some of you today. You wonder, could any good ever come out of one who makes so many mistakes? Take heart. It's my third time today to say take heart. Take heart because Jesus took your punishment on the cross. We just celebrated it a moment ago. Jesus took your punishment, my punishment on the cross, offering forgiveness once and for all. That's what he did for us. I don't always feel that way. Do you? If you were honest, you say, well, not always. I have to talk myself out of it. I have to encourage myself in the Lord as David did, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We all have the right religious answers that help us somehow take the next step. But I love my steps. I know this. My steps are ordered by God. Not the judgmental God, but the God who loves me. The God who picks my other foot up and moves it forward for me when I'm stuck in the mud of my own mess. My God is there to help me through it. And I'm discovering he's big enough to handle the junk I got. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. According, are you ready? According to the richness of his grace. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And God is able to work out everything, even your mistakes, even your failures. He can work out all that stuff for your good. If you'll let him. I'm on the journey of letting him. I've made a lot of messes in my life. And I've told you a hundred times, if I've told you once, I wish that our brains were like hard drives in a computer. Shut that computer down, unplug it, pull the old hard drive off, burn it, put a brand new one in there, reboot. It's like, ah. he didn't do that. I can remember every memory. I can remember every mess. 
If I choose to sit around long enough, I could detail every sin. That's not me. That's Satan accusing me. And then it makes me withdraw from this God in heaven who does, wants nothing more than for me to come into his arms and bring him my mess. You can't, you, you can't decide that I'll get clean and then I'll come to God. He's the cleanser. Come to him dirty. He'll cleanse you. Now, I, I, I'm not suggesting that it's okay to just go ahead and sin. Do not hear me, folks, because we need to remember that every sin does have a storm that's attached to it. But you need to know that God is big enough, that he is strong enough, that he's loving enough, that he's merciful enough, that he's forgiving enough to handle your disobedience if you'll simply come to him in repentance and talk to him about it. I'm screwed up, God. And I, I just know in my heart of hearts that eyes of compassion fall on me. I know, son. Come here. Let me comfort you. Let me help you. I don't serve a God. I messed up, God. I told you so, you knucklehead. Is that the God you serve? First John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is both a spiritual work and a physical work with my heavenly Father. And in the, in the Spirit, he has secured me completely. In the Spirit, he has cleansed me completely. In the Spirit, he has forgiven me completely. But this old earth suit, this old stinking thinking still rises up every now and again and tries to win the battle against God. And God's even big enough for that. So there are a lot of people in life, even in church, who cannot handle our doubts and cannot handle our emotions and cannot handle our mistakes. And they may judge you. They may misunderstand you. They may even reject you. But God's not like them at all. Too bad they're not a little bit more like God. Because he's big enough to handle and love you and save you to the uttermost. All of you. Now, I'm one individual that if I chose to spend enough time, I could have compartments within my life that would appear unforgivable by human nature. And Satan wants me to remember those things. And he wants to make me think that my God has a different opinion of me because of those things. And I recognize, especially after what I went through in the hospital a week ago, there was no more, there was no sadder moment in my life than when that happened and I thought I'll never see Diane again wouldn't it have been nice if I had been so religious as to say I'll never get to praise you again no my mind went right to the flesh I'll never get to see her again they're going to go to the room and say we lost your husband it took me a while before I started praising God hmm Y'all probably heard the story. They said, I have the heart of an athlete. You didn't tell them that? 
I have a heart rate of 47 beats per minute. That's my normal heart rate. And so every, every person that came in to check me and says, are you an athlete? And I'd go, does this look like the body of an athlete? <laughs> every one of them, you must be an athlete. Oh, no, no, I'm not an athlete. I'm a professional eater. I can do that really well. <laughs> Diane kept reminding me, honey, 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 you had all the tests. Your heart is good. Your, your veins are clear. I couldn't see it. Because all I could remember was the moment I felt like I came face to face with death. And I was mad about it. And I was hurt at God for even letting me go through it. He's okay with me. He's big enough to handle my doubts, my fears, my anger. It took me a day or two to finally have a, my mind transformed again. Hallelujah! My heart's good! I got, I'm, I'm, I got, I got the body of an athlete! That's not what they said. <laughs> Sounds like the accuser of the brethren to me. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just bringing you real life, y'all. Sometimes you look at the preacher and think, boy, he's got all the answers. He's got everything in order. And I'm just as screwed up as the rest of you. And God's okay with me. And he's okay with you. There's no amount of Christian performance that you or I will ever do to be perfect in this earth suit. There's no amount of Christian ritualistic ceremonial type of, uh, uh, of things that we could do to make us be in our own minds saintly and godly. That happens spiritually. And when you and I look at our father and think that he's just judging us, then we are in a relationship with someone we do not trust. And I want to trust that my father wraps his arms around me and his heart, if you will, metaphorically bleeds for me when I'm in trouble, when I'm in pain, when I doubt, when I question, when I'm fearful. There was nothing but fear came out of my mouth at the, on that table when six doctors were pumping me full of stuff and putting nitro under my tongue. And there was nothing out of my mouth that said, praise God, I shall live and not die. I wish I could say that to you. All I could say was, I'm dying. Am I dying? <clears throat> Some Christian people might judge me for not being spiritual enough. But God's big enough to even get, for me to even get past you. <laughs> He's big enough. Judgmental Christians and religious-based Christianity have given the church, have given Christianity, and have given God a bad rap. People are looking for something greater than themselves. They don't want anything to do with the God of Christianity. That's because most of us live a charade. 
can't get real enough, even with ourselves, to know that God is okay with us. So we put on a mask and do our best to make sure no one knows. First diagnosis in the uh, emergency room was, uh, uh, I think the doctor and the nurse said, uh, one thing we know about Mr. Lopez is that he is stoic. And then they came in and said, we, the nurse came in, me and the doctor were talking about the fact that one thing is that you're stoic. And I'm thinking, I ought to know what that word means. And we, we looked up the word, and it was basically hiding the facts, pretending that everything's okay when everything's not okay, and having a straight face even when inside you're screaming bloody murder. And at first I thought it was a compliment. I said to Diane, I said, I'll take that. I'm stoic. And I realized God doesn't want me to do that. God wants me to bring it all to him. All my hurt, all my anger, all my doubt, all my religion. Just come to him. And he'll meet me right where I'm at. People are longing to belong to something and they want to be a part of something life-giving and life-changing, but they have no interest in a lifeless, powerless church. People are hurting. People are lonely. People are depressed and oppressed by the enemy. And however, those same people are unimpressed with us. What's the answer? Well, the answer is not a what. The answer is a who. And the answer is Jesus Christ. He is the who that this world needs. If there is a what that the world needs, it's to be able to see real, authentic, sincere, genuine, imperfect, everyday people who know who Jesus Christ is, and those people want everybody else to know about it as well. They don't want your religious garment. They don't need your Christianese. You know, saying all the right Christian stuff. You win more people to a loving father by showing them that even you, as messy as you are, have a loving father that you trust. I can share this message with you with great passion today, not because of what I went through in the hospital a week ago, but because of what we just did a few minutes ago. Sharing the blood and the body. He loved me that much. He didn't wait for me to get myself in order before I could do that. He just wants me to remember what he rescued me from. And celebrate that. Who the world needs is Jesus. What the world needs is loving, compassionate, understanding people who recognize that their purpose in life is to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ. To live the life you were born to live. Because I believe with my heart of hearts that the life you were born to live is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ who goes out and makes other people become disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our destiny on planet earth. And they don't need some religious icon to make it happen. They need to have a regular, sincere, 
person who's even got messes in life but still somehow makes it through because they're a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what they're attracted to. That's what they're interested in. We need to share the message of the cross of Jesus Christ that we just celebrated. We need to share the message of the resurrected Christ. We need to share the message of a reconciled, redeemed life to God. I have been reconciled to God. I have relationship with my Father in heaven. And just like in life, sometimes we have relationships with people and not always are those relationships perfectly perfect. And so it is with God sometimes. His relationship with me is always perfect. My relationship with him is filled with humanity. And he's okay with me. He's big enough to handle it. If I can just be small enough to bring it to him. And be honest with him. And let him comfort me. And restore me. In closing... If we are to live the life that we're born to live, then we must be disciples of Jesus Christ, passionate about introducing other people to this Jesus that we love. And one of the main ways that the enemy gains a victory over us is by keeping us seated in our beautiful chairs with four-inch cushions and making sure that we're just comfortable in the house of God, but never allowing us to have the comfort to go out of here and begin to share the good news of Jesus Christ. He wants to keep us silent. He'd love to keep us in church comfortable, but keep us silent out there. Mute. In life, people who are living life need to see disciples of Jesus Christ who are also living life. Somehow are able to rise above the fray of trouble in their life and above the past and above everything else and, and have no trouble saying, I ain't perfect. I'm a mess. But I got this God in heaven who sees me as perfect. Who's decided that spiritually I'm no longer a mess. Satan will, uh, he will do everything in his power to create a religion without a redeemer. To create a church without Christ. To create worship without the word of God. Let's just go have a social club. Let's enjoy. Let's go have coffee. Let's just. I pray you're not interested. In that kind of church. Let me ask you today. All of this message brings me to this point. Are you sharing Jesus with everyone around you? Do you have a heartbeat as a Christian that everywhere you go, you got to share Jesus with somebody? Or are you a silent 007 Oh, I guess that's Batman. That's not 007. <laughs> Batman! When people see you, do they see Jesus? Or are you hiding behind the mask of Christianity? You know what I mean when I say that. Are you hiding behind the mask of, I go to Resurrection Life Church. Therefore, I am. 
There was an illustration. Uh, I'm bringing everything to it, wrapping everything up, and we're going to have ourselves a great baptism here in a minute. What a service. Open up with communion, finish it off with baptism. Hear about a messy pastor all in between. Doesn't get any gooder than that. Martin Luther was once asked a similar question. You know, when people see you, do they see Jesus? And uh, he, here's, here's Martin Luther's reply. When the devil comes knocking on the door of my heart and asks who lives here, the dear Lord Jesus goes to the door and says, Martin used to live here, but he's moved out. Now I live here. The devil, seeing the nail-scarred hands in the pierced side, takes flight immediately. Who do people see when they come knocking on the door of your heart? Do they see you in all your mess, or do they see Jesus in a messy person? I don't want them to just see the messy person. I want them to see Jesus and a messy person trying to work out life. Because that's life for every one of us. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Do people see Jesus in you? Are you so wrapped up in your own mess that even you can't see Jesus in you? Do you represent the stench of a God-shrouded religion? Or do you smell the sweet aroma of a God of mercy and grace and love and forgiveness who's big enough and strong enough to handle all your shortcomings? I can tell you with Rick Lopez, he's got a long list of shortcomings. And I'm stoic. Apparently, I need to get delivered from that, Brother Chuck. <laughs> Jesus died on the cross to rescue you and me from ourselves and to save us from all of our sins, past, present, and future. Jesus died on the cross to give you and me a pathway to restore a genuine relationship with a loving father. That, in my estimation, friends, is the heartbeat of Christianity and the gospel message to recognize that we are in a restored relationship with a loving, nurturing, caring father who's big enough to put up with us. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We love John 3, 16, but we forget about John 3, 17. He didn't come to condemn. That's Satan's job. He came to love us and forgive us and restore us. And give us a life that, that is filled with peace and joy, not calamity and trouble. Friends, your, your, your future does not hinge on the world's situation, however grim it might become. It depends on what happened 2,000 years ago at a cross, at a cross of Calvary. 
and your acceptance and or rejection of the Prince of Peace. That's what all of life banks on. Friends, this is not the time to delay. We live in the last days, and our time is far shorter today than it was yesterday. None of us knows for certain when death will come to visit us. <clears throat> now, I didn't die last week, but I sure felt like I actually got, when I finally got my head screwed, I went and Googled what's a near-death experience because I felt like I had one. I don't know what that means to me yet. But none of us ever know when death will come knocking on the door. And I want to make, I want to give you the opportunity to make your peace with God today. So if you would bow your heads with me, close your eyes, bow your heads. We're all going to say this prayer together. And we're going to expect God's miracle working power in our life. Say this prayer with me. Say, oh God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm willing to turn from my sin. I receive Christ as my Savior. I confess Him as my Lord. I want to follow Him and serve Him and be connected with others in the fellowship of His church. In Christ's name, amen. If you, said that, if you said that prayer today with sincerity of heart, the Bible says that all the angels of in, he in heaven are rejoicing over you. If you can believe it and receive it, would you give the Lord a shout and a praise in the house of God? Yeah. Boy, I'd like to preach some more, but I'm done. Uh, I want to dismiss those that are going to be baptized to go get uh, changed for that. Because we're getting ready to have a baptism here in just a few minutes. Praise God. Baptism is one of the sacraments of the Lord. Instituted by Jesus Christ himself at somewhere around the age of 30. He lived in the same city as his parents and his brothers and sisters as uh, the son of a carpenter. Learning the trade of his dad, his earthly dad. And there became a moment when he was separated for ministry. And it happened in the Jordan River. One day when his cousin, John the Baptist, was baptizing people. Jesus showed up on the scene. John... Knowing who he was, looked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, I'm th I think people are like going, Who, 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 where, what, what? Uh, it's just John the fanatic. Jesus walks up to him and says, Time to baptize me. John, knowing who was standing before him, not just cousin Yeshua, but the Lamb of God says, I, I'm not worthy to baptize you. I'm not even worthy to tie the, 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 the shoestrings on your shoes. And Jesus said, 
I must do this. And here's what the scripture literally says. Maybe in heaven we'll understand more about the depth of what this really means. Jesus himself says, I must do this in order to fulfill right standing with my Father in heaven. Wow. I would figure Jesus already had right standing. Can I get a witness from somebody? And yet Jesus says to John the Baptist, who was baptizing people right and left, John, I, Jesus, Son of God, must do this in order to fulfill righteousness. What is righteousness? Right standing with Father. Jesus gave that to us as an example. So baptism is a, is a point of obedience in one's life who says, I have accepted Jesus Christ into my life and I want to do what Jesus did. If there's any other reason, that's the best reason on the planet. I want to do what Jesus did. If Jesus did it, I need to do it. Any of us humans wrapped up in our religion who go, nah, I don't need to do that. You don't, you don't even love Jesus. Because you, you ought to be so tightly knit to Jesus and your heart so wrapped around Jesus that you just live by this mantra, if Jesus did it, I want to as well. So Jesus was baptized that day. He went down into the water. John put him down into the water. Whatever that may have looked like, I'm not here to define what that looked like. They didn't have a baptistry. They were in the dirty Jordan River. There's lots of different theological viewpoints about what that might have looked like. That's not the point. Jesus come up out of the water and a voice from heaven said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. I believe with all of my heart that something happens in the spirit realm. That when a person is baptized, I believe spiritually there is a voice from heaven that says, This is my son or this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. If it happened to Jesus, I believe it's going to happen to us. We may not hear that voice, but I would say hear it in your heart. And then the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove and landed on Jesus. And I believe that that was potentially a moment where Jesus was empowered for the work that he had to do for the next three years. He was fully man and fully God. We have to understand that. So he went to the river and he said, John, I got to do this to get right with God. And he did it, and a voice came and said, that's my son. I am so pleased with him. I got a feeling in the heavenlies, God is looking over the portals of heaven, and he's seeing what's going to happen today, and he's going, that's my daughter. That's my daughter. That's my son. I'm really pleased at them today. And if the rest is true and accurate, then that's also a moment when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to empower you for the work of ministry. What is that? That's not, I mean, granted, it could be sweeping in the church or ushering. Maybe it's about being a disciple and spreading the gospel message because that's what Jesus, you know what he did as soon as he got, got done with that situation? He went about preaching, repent or perish. That was his message. 
He was empowered in that moment. So I hope you, I think there's all three of you. Yes, right here you all are getting baptized today. Did you hear what I just said about the voice of the Father? I know you all were getting ready when Jesus was baptized. He said that uh, he had to do that in order to fulfill right standing with God. Righteousness. And when he came up out of the water, it was a voice from heaven that said, this is my son whom I'm really happy about. We may not hear a voice today, but I pray that in your heart of hearts that you hear a voice from heaven that says, that's my daughter. That's my son. That's my daughter who I am really pleased with today. That's a huge moment. If you can believe that and receive it, then see it and believe it in the Spirit. And then immediately after that, the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove and landed on him. And he left to do his ministry immediately after. And I believe today is also a moment that if you'll give yourself to it, that you're also going to have an empowerment from the Holy Spirit to be a witness for Jesus Christ. That's not just a tank of warm water. It's warm, so don't worry. You're not going to freeze when you get in there. It's not just some ritual that we do in church life. It is a ritual that we do in church life, but it's an important moment spiritually. But it's also a moment of public confession that says, I believe in Jesus. I am a disciple of Jesus. You'll come up out of that water a different person if you'll connect yourself spiritually to what's about to happen for you. And we're going to celebrate. And then after y'all dry off, we're going to a taco bar. Can I get a witness from somebody? <laughs> oh, hallelujah. I can't believe he's joking around about it. It's, Jesus joked. I believe it. <laughs>